Welcome to the Love and Light Live podcast, empowering crystal lovers to learn and experience the art of crystal healing. Get ready to listen in and follow your soul calling with crystals. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me for the Love and Light Live podcast brought to you by loveandlightschool.com. I'm your host, Ashley Levy, and this podcast is the number one place for all things crystals. In today's show, we'll explore the properties of azurite, a crystal for spiritual growth and exploration. But before we get started, I'd like to answer one of our listener questions. Remember, you can submit your own question anytime at loveandlightschool.com ask for the chance to have your question answered right here on the show. Today's question comes from Christy K. And Christy says, I was recently drawn to an aura amethyst cluster. And while I understand what amethyst can provide, I was curious how the aura addition affects the metaphysical meaning to this crystal and others. So Christy, this is a great question. So when aura crystals sort of first hit the market, so to speak, many years ago, it was pretty much only aura quartz that you could get. And so the properties were a little bit easier to understand, right? Because we had quartz, which is just a great amplifier of energy. It's like almost a little bit more neutral given that it's just clear quartz, right? Um, But now we're seeing aura treatment on all different kinds of crystals. And if you're unfamiliar with aura crystals, they are not, they don't occur in nature. So they're not what I would call natural, but they're also not like a crystal fake. They're intentionally created uh, by humans by taking crystals. And again, this used to primarily be quartz crystals, but now I see this on different varieties of quartz like amethyst or citrine or smoky quartz or rose quartz. I also see this on things like aragonite or spirit quartz or ruby or sapphire. You see these aura treatments being done on lots more minerals. So what they do is they take the minerals or crystals and put them in a vacuum chamber with vaporized precious metals. So it's small amounts of precious metals um, and they use all different combinations of these metals to get different colors. Some of the most popular are like for the angel aura, which is sometimes known as opal aura or sometimes rainbow aura, although that one can be confusing because the rainbow aura term is also applied to the titanium or flame aura quartz. Many of these also have very different names. The rainbow angel opal aura is created with platinum. And then something like aqua aura quartz is made with gold. And some of the other ones are uh, like hotly guarded secrets of different combinations of metals to get interesting colors. And I actually have two articles about this over on my website, loveandlightschool.com slash blog, where you can check out, if you type in the search, look up aura quartz, you'll see two different articles where 
I talk about some of the healing qualities of these aura quartz crystals and also um, what I've been able to discover through some research about which metals may be used to create each specific type of aura. So kind of an interesting read if you're a little bit new to these, but most people now have seen these in one form or another. They used to be a lot harder to come by. Um, and that was because they were really only being produced by a few small manufacturers. And now they're definitely being produced on a much larger scale. But with that does come some fakes. And, and Christy, I promise this is like a roundabout way of answering your question. Um, there are some fakes that you need to be aware of when you are looking for ore crystals. I know that I said these aren't fake crystals, and that's true when the vaporized precious metals are being used, because at least you still have natural materials then, right? You have your crystal and you have your precious metals, which most metals are also crystalline in nature. And so it's like bringing these two things together. And in a true aura crystal, the color can't be scratched off, rubbed off, scraped off. It's electro bonded to the surface of the crystal. So it is permanent. Now, some people say they don't like that. They say that they feel like it like suffocates the crystal, um, that it alters the energy of the crystal. And I kind of disagree. I actually do like working with these. And if you listen to the podcast for a long time, you know, I usually don't work with altered crystals. I really don't like working with dyed stones or man-made stones or artificially irradiated stones. But I do work with aura quartz um, because they're really beautiful. And I think it's also a way for many of us to work with the energy of some of these precious metals that we wouldn't otherwise really ever get to work with, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I definitely can't afford a chunk of platinum to work with, but I could work with some opal or angel aura quartz that is quartz amplifying the energy of that platinum that is being used to coat it. And I think something really beautiful is created in that kind of alchemy and combination of those two materials personally. But there are some faked aura quartz that is sometimes done by dyeing the quartz and then putting an aura coating on it. I've even seen really badly like spray painted looking crystals <laughs> at the Tucson gem show. They um, had them in some quartz geodes and they just looked like they had been really badly spray painted with like purple and pink and green paint and then some kind of gold glittery paint. I mean, like I've I've seen some bad stuff out there, but the more deceptive ones, I think, are the Teflon-coated aura quartz, and these are when you see some of the really, really vibrant colors, like limey greens and neon yellows and super bright pinks. Now, there are some ways to produce some of those colors using the precious metals. But for the most part, these really brightly colored aura quartz that have flooded the market are either dyed quartz that then has the platinum aura put on, or they're Teflon coated. So yes, Teflon, the same stuff that might be in your nonstick skillet, they use to coat aura quartz. And I have a whole article. This is one of the two articles on the blog that is dedicated to this topic. And you can usually see these by, they have sort of a slick, almost like 
wet look to them. And the coating actually looks quite thick. So you can't actually see the metal coating on a true aura quartz other than it creates like an iridescent uh, sheen or iridescence with like a color like aqua aura. But with these Teflon coated ones, it, it almost looks like really thin, translucent nail polish, kind of. And it's like slick and wet looking. So once you get used to kind of looking at some of these, you get to know what to look for. And these are sometimes called jelly quartz or jelly crystals. So this is something I've seen more and more and more and more of over the years, even from some pretty prominent online crystal sellers. So something just to look out for. So back to Christy's question, when it comes to something like aura amethyst, how do we learn what these properties are? How do we learn how this crystal can now be used and worked with, right? So Christy made a great point. Like I know what the energy and properties of amethyst are, but how does that change once this aura is added? So I'm guessing, Christy, that you have probably an angel or opal aura amethyst, um, which is what I see in most aura amethysts. Um, I have seen some amethysts coated with titanium, or they have that darker flame or rainbow aura. So the first thing is to identify what kind of aura do you have? Uh, and you can see some great pictures of this and learn all about those again at those articles on my website, loveandlightschool.com slash blog. So once you've identified what kind of aura you have on your crystal, it's just a matter of combining the type of the crystal with the properties that come from that aura, which come from the metal. And so I have a whole list of these over on the website. In general, angel aura or opal aura is great for helping to connect with your guides, with your angels. It's great for communication, for spiritual growth, enhancing meditation. And a lot of those things, I think, as you were starting to mention in your question and comment, do kind of already align with the metaphysical meaning of amethyst. So this is actually a great combo, in my opinion, to kind of continue on with the energy that amethyst already has. So a really interesting combo to work with. So if you'd like to learn more about each specific type of aura treatment and how it influences the energy of the particular stone that it's on, you can find that over on the website at loveandlightschool.com slash blog, and just do a little search for aura quartz, and you'll find the two articles that I've written on this topic, and hopefully that will really help you learn a little bit about all of these aura treatments that are available. I, I bet for most of you listening, there will be some on there you've never seen before, never heard of, and it's really pretty interesting once you um, get right into it. So I also want to address another question that Christy had here. Christy submitted a few questions. So Christy also says, um, something that they struggle with is feeling like lots of crystals do similar things. So how do you understand which of those to use for what? 
So for example, you might look up crystals for grounding, right? Maybe you feel like you really need to get grounded and you look up what are the best crystals for grounding? And this is a question I get a lot. People say, what is the best or what is the most powerful for XYZ for this particular thing? And here's the thing. There's no one best crystal for anything. There's only what's best for you. And likely what's going to be best for you is what you're intuitively drawn to work with. Or what's best for you may be what you already have on your shelf or in your crystal toolkit, right? I think so often we want to rush out and like buy just the right thing, the best thing, the most powerful thing, the thing that we think we should be using, right? But there's really only what's best for you. And I really encourage everyone, sometimes it's best just to work with what you've got already, you know, that can be a great way to build relationships with your crystals, getting to know them a little bit more intimately by actually working with them in depth. Um, But in terms of, let's use this example of crystals for grounding, right? Say you look up crystals for grounding in your favorite crystal book or favorite blog or website or book, and you're, you're reading a little bit, right, about the best crystals for grounding. And maybe you see tons listed like black tourmaline, petrified wood, bronzite, red garnet, red jasper, ruby, carnelian, dravite tourmaline. And now you're starting to feel a little overwhelmed. You feel like, okay, so since they all do that similar thing, they all have that in common, how do I know which one to use? Well, just take a moment, get present, and think about which one you're really attracted to. Because here's the thing. Whichever crystal you work with for grounding in this example, will have other inherent qualities as well. We'll have other things that it can help you with. And so by really tuning in and paying attention to the one that you're most connected to, you'll likely get some other side benefits from working with that stone. Now, I also want to make a point here that if you want to go strictly based off of your intuition, And maybe you feel like, okay, you know what's really going to help me get grounded is this amethyst crystal. That might not be a crystal that most people even think of for grounding, but maybe there's something about that particular crystal for you that helps you with the issue that you're facing right now. And so trusting that inner guidance and then trusting your experience with that crystal, right? When you hold that crystal, keep that crystal in your pocket, wear it as jewelry, work with that crystal in meditation, create a grid with that crystal. When you work with that crystal in whatever way you're going to use it for grounding, do you actually feel more grounded? Do you feel more present? Do you feel more centered? If the answer is yes, then great, go with it. If you think, "Mm, that one's not really doing it for me, then you can try something else. You know what I mean? That's the great thing. Like you always get an opportunity to try something else, to experiment, to learn and grow when it comes to working with your crystals. So I hope that helps Christy. Um, And then Christy's final question is, I'm diving into crystals really hard, but I'm still not understanding charging and why. And so we did talk about this in a recent episode, probably actually a little bit after uh, Christy submitted this question, but I just want to give a quick recap because I do think this is something that comes up 
so commonly. People get tripped up on cleansing, on charging, on programming. Um, These are all things that come up really frequently in the crystal world. So cleansing, think of that. Most of us know cleansing, just like, you know, cleansing our ourselves, our bodies. We're, we're kind of taking that layer of grime off when we're in the shower, when we're in the bath, in the tub. Um, and so it's kind of an opportunity to reset and rejuvenate our energy, right? Through getting rid of what's no longer serving us, through uh, releasing And so cleansing your crystals much works the same way. Since crystals can absorb, store, and transmit energy, they can pick up on energies that aren't necessarily for our highest good. And we tend to, as humans, classify or qualify these things as positive or negative based on our experience and the way that we perceive them. But we have to remember, energy is just energy, right? So we call it negative, when it's not really serving us, when it's just kind of getting in the way, holding us back, cluttering things up. So the act of cleansing removes those energies and often leaves the energies that are there to support us and nurture us. Programming is when we're working with a specific intention with our crystals. And I really don't um, personally use the term programming for what I do with my crystals. I find programming to be kind of an old school crystal healing method that is almost, in my opinion, a bit restrictive because you're kind of specifically telling the crystal, I only want you to do this thing, right? And I feel like crystals have so much to offer us and our work with crystals has so much to offer us that I work more with intention um, where There's sort of a respectful request rather than a demand being made. And I feel personally that really resonates with my approach to spirituality and the connection that I have to any spiritual tools that I'm working with. It's a request, right? If you were working with your ancestors, right, as a point of connection, would you demand something or would you work with intention and respectful request? So there's that. And by doing that, I feel like you also leave room for something even better to come along, for that crystal to support you in even bigger ways than you had imagined. So, you know, programming is this really, really specific method. And there are many methods, like step-by-step ways to program a crystal. And I don't really work that way. I work more with just holding my crystal, feeling into it, putting that intention in just through thought while I'm holding that stone and making that respectful request. And that works really well for me. Then finally, charging. Most people, right? I'm going to define like the general um, crystal healing world viewpoint on charging and then my viewpoint, which is quite different. Most people look at charging as literally replenishing the energy of a crystal as if the crystal is like a battery, if it's just like your phone, right? People think, oh, well, if I work with the crystal, I'm pulling energy out of it. I've worn it out. I've used that energy and I need to charge it to restore that energy, just like a battery. And I will say when I first started working with crystals, I very much did this, right? This is like the thing that people tell you to do. It's in like all the books and the classes and all that stuff. 
I personally found over time that crystals really didn't need to be charged in this way. Your crystal doesn't lose its energy. It does have that ability to receive, store, and transmit energy. But I feel like crystals kind of tend to stay in this place of equilibrium, right? They're not gaining more energy than they lose or losing more energy than they gain. What can happen though is that they can have this excess kind of cluttered energy um, that I mentioned when I was talking about cleansing. And so by removing or cleansing that energy, we're inviting or drawing new energy back into the crystal. So cleansing and charging are usually um, presented to kind of go hand in hand where you cleanse a crystal, remove energy from it, charge a crystal, put you know, quote unquote, good energy back in. I feel like when you cleanse a crystal, you're, you're taking away or requesting that the energy that's not for your highest good be removed from that stone. And the universe naturally, just through the process of energy exchange, is putting new energy, different energy back in. So for me, I don't think that there is this need to like recharge a crystal like a battery, but I do do something that I refer to as charging. Um, and it kind of is more of on this border of charging and somewhat non-traditional programming, right? Um, so for me, the way I think of charging is kind of tailoring the energy of a crystal to be a little bit more specific. Now, I mentioned when I was talking about programming uh, that crystals have lots of different properties, right? And so we can choose one, one intention or reason that we'd really like to work with that stone, but when we don't limit it, there are often these like side benefits from the other inherent qualities of the crystals that come through. So for me, I feel like charging is almost a way to kind of guide that crystal into a particular area of focus that you would like to pay a little bit more attention to. So I think you can charge a crystal um, or fine-tune its energy by bringing it into contact with other energies through plants and herbs, through phases of the moon, through types of weather, through seasons and special days and sacred places. And I feel like by bringing the crystal into contact, into the environment of those different energies, the crystal can take on those energies, almost like a talisman, right? So say, for example, that I wanted to work with a crystal to help me sleep at night. I've been having a little trouble sleeping. I love working with Howlite for this. So if I wanted to enhance Howlite's natural ability to promote a restful night's sleep, and again, through its energetic support, not as a substitute for any medical attention, but as an energetic support for me, then I might, what I would call, charge my crystal in a small dish of dried valerian herb, for example, valerian known for helping to induce sleep. Now, I have like a lot of food sensitivities and allergies and things like that. 
And so I'm always a little bit apprehensive to work with an herb internally because, well, quite frankly, some of them can be quite strong. And I'm also sometimes afraid of having a reaction to something new. So instead of working with valerian internally or even working with like a spray or something like that where I'm not sure how I'll react, I can take my crystal and set it in a bowl of dried valerian to charge it with the energy of that valerian. And I feel like the two then work together. So now that crystal, because it has the ability to receive and store and transmit energy, can take on some of the qualities of that valerian that already are in alignment with the properties of the howlite, right? So that they can work together and it provides a little bit more context to that energy, if that makes sense. And this is quite different than how most people view charging, right? When most people talk about charging, they're talking about the battery thing. The battery's low, recharge it. I just haven't found that to be necessary in my work with crystals. And um, I do find that this practice of charging a crystal, almost like you would with a talisman, is something that I really enjoy. It's a process that I really enjoy that helps me feel more connected with my crystals and that helps bring a special quality of energy to them that's a little bit different and unique. So I hope that's helpful, Christy. I so appreciate your questions. So thank you so much for submitting them. And remember, if you have a question that you'd like for me to answer for you about crystals, spirituality, or anything else you're curious about right now, let me know over at loveandlightschool.com slash ask. The Crystal Healing Certification Program is coming soon. Want to know more? For info, free training, and to get on the list, go to crystalhealerschool.com. And now it's time for us to dive into our main topic for today, the healing properties of azurite. So azurite is a really deep indigo blue monoclinic mineral, and it's best known for its connection with intuition and psychic awareness. And so if you've seen azurite, you know this beautiful deep indigo blue that I'm talking about. Now, if you listen to the podcast often, you know I always like to kind of start the healing properties segments with a little affirmation for working with your crystal. And here's what came through for Azurite. I accept and trust my inner guidance and I embrace my intuition and psychic skills. So thinking about Azurite, what are some of the common properties? Well, it enhances a connection with the earth. If you've ever seen azurite kind of studded in a beautiful matrix or host rock or parent rock, or if you've seen it swirling alongside malachite in a tumbled stone, then you know it's almost like having a bird's eye view of the earth. That beautiful blue, it just really helps give you some perspective into your connection with the earth. And I find this to be such a helpful crystal for bringing that 
healthy connection and respect and appreciation for the earth to the forefront. It also facilitates the growth and expansion of your innate quality to nurture. So I think this really has to do with this connection to earth energy, just as the earth as mother earth supports and sustains and nurtures us Azure also helps bring those qualities out in us when we're working with this stone. More popularly, Azurite enhances psychic vision and mystical experience, and it really helps you hone your psychic skills. And I think this is partly because it really aids in the acceptance of your natural intuitive gifts. And when you start to trust your intuition and your inner guidance and really accept that, then it starts to help you naturally fine tune those intuitive and psychic skills that you already have, because now that you've trusted them a little bit more, it helps build your confidence and helps you kind of really step into that gift. Now, it's also a very protective stone, protective of the energy body. And so many people work with it during astral travel or astral projection or dream work. So you can place a piece of azurite on your bedside table or nightstand or even a small piece in your pillowcase to really help keep your energy body shielded at night during that work. It also creates this sense of cosmic connection. I think when we can really appreciate our connection and relationship with the earth and really feel our place in the universe, it really helps us feel connected to our own inner divinity, to the contribution that we have to make to the universe as a whole. And because of these qualities that Azurite possesses, it can also really help you deepen your meditation and to really find stillness in the present moment and allow you to just be and reflect and um, be present and find that place of centeredness. So if you'd like to get a little bit of an expanded view of working with Azurite, I did do a live stream on Facebook this week and I've added that video not only to my Facebook page, but over on the blog. So you can pop over to loveandlightschool.com slash blog and watch this little video. And I'll also show you some of the Azurite pieces from my crystal toolkit um, and kind of show a few of the different formations and colors. And it's a really fun video. So I hope that you'll enjoy that. Now, Azurite is connected with the zodiac signs of Pisces, Aquarius, and Gemini. It's connected with the water element and the earth element, and its companion flower is grape hyacinth, uh, also known as muscaria. And this is one of the reasons that I wanted to share azurite with you right now as we head into spring, because at least where I live here in Wisconsin, we are getting to the time where all of the bulbs are starting to bloom and grape hyacinth will be popping up out of the ground and blooming very soon now. And I find that this, you know, this beautiful blue of azurite that we just don't see in nature very often, that elusive blue, this is shared by the grape hyacinth. It's a bit on the purple side, a bit on that violety blue side, um, but it is a stunning 
blue flower, pretty much as close to a blue as you can get other than in something like a hydrangea. Now the companion essential oil for azurite is blue lotus, again, bringing in that elusive blue energy, that sought after blue that we only find in a few places in nature. And the companion stone for azurite is tangerine calcite, deep, 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 vibrant orange. So whereas orange calcite is more on the yellow orange end of the spectrum, tangerine calcite on the color spectrum is more in that red orange area. And it's just beautiful and pairs great with azurite because it brings a lot of vibrance and energy to the qualities that azurite has. Now, the common origins of azurite are Morocco, Arizona, and the southwestern United States, Greece, Namibia, France, and Australia. Of course, it is found in some other places, um, but it's also known or has been known historically as chessilite, chessy copper, lazure, quanos, or sometimes it's even called blue malachite, which is a little bit uh, misleading. It's obviously not a malachite, but you'll often find it growing along with malachite near copper deposits. They're both commonly um, associated with major copper deposits because uh, they're largely composed of copper. Both of these are. And this is also why you often find them growing together, kind of swirling together, even sometimes along with chrysocolla. And as I mentioned, azurite can be found in a huge range of formations like nodules and spherical shapes and geodes and gemmy crystal clusters. And if you want to see some of these, again, definitely check out the blog post this week where I do a little show and tell on the video that I shared of some of these formations. Now, this is also an excellent stone for helping you kind of put yourself in someone else's shoes to help you expand your perspective so that you can really better hold compassion for that person and also to promote some group cooperation. When we have mutual understanding of others, sometimes it makes understanding their perspective and their point of view um, a big contributing factor to allowing us to work more harmoniously in a group. Now, because it's a very soft stone with this super intense blue color, azurite has long been ground up and used in a pigment. For example, priests in ancient Egypt uh, were said to use azurite to create a paint and then paint a blue eye of Horus on their foreheads. And so it long has this connection with the inner eye. It's a very strong connection here and this long connection with intuitive development. And in fact, the people of ancient China are said to have called azurite the stone of heaven because they believed that it would help them find the heavenly gateway or path between heaven and earth. So this is one of the reasons it's a great crystal to have near you when you're meditating, when you want to work with your guides. Um, And then in more modern times, We still see people really um, apt to work with this crystal. So Edgar Cayce, who was an early 20th century 
um, channeler, who's sometimes called the sleeping prophet, referred to this stone as lapis linguis in several of his readings, sometimes uh, overlapping this with lapis lazuli and other times um, distinguishing the two stones separate from one another. But Edgar Casey in these readings talked about working with this crystal specifically for intuitive development. So if you'd like to work with this crystal in this way to help you start to trust your intuition, to help you start to open up intuitively, I want you to really um, think about when you've had a little intuitive hit, right? When you've had something come through intuitively, where do you experience that in your body? For example, maybe it's at your brow, right? Um, Maybe this comes through as kind of insight that way, but maybe you feel your intuition really connected to your heart, right? It's like an inner knowing, or maybe you're like me and you really feel that more strongly in your gut when you get a strong yes or no or guidance, So wherever you feel that in your body, try holding an azurite crystal over that area and then ask a question about something that you'd like guidance about or just allow something to kind of come through and let the universe and your intuition sort of speak to you and just let any words or symbols come through and let working with this crystal help you interpret those messages right? And really pay attention to your body and how you feel as those things are coming through. So one final note on azurite. I think it's important to be mindful of the fact that azurite, as I mentioned, contains a lot of copper. And so you do need to be especially careful around any dust given off by rough stones or clusters. You wouldn't want to breathe this in. And if you're handling some you know, large quantities of azurite, it's a good idea to wash your hands before you rub your eye or eat anything. Um, It's not particularly toxic to just handle, but you do want to be aware of the dust given off and also just wash your hands thoroughly as you would after handling any crystals. Now, one final thing here, it said that azurite can also give off harmful sulfur-like fumes if and when it's exposed to water. So it's important to keep the stone away from water and also just away from any particularly damp or humid areas. Well, that is it for our segment about azurite. And um, I wanted to kind of experiment a little bit a few weeks back, if you remember, in one of our Ask Me Anything segments, a listener had requested that I do a few more questions at the beginning of the show. So if you have any feedback for me about that, if you'd like to let me know how you liked that, uh, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram through my DMs. You can find me on Instagram at Love and Light School. I'd love to hear from you on how you like doing a few extra questions at the beginning of the show. And because it's been a particularly long episode, I'm going to skip our trending this week segment this week. Um, And I'd just love some feedback from you. How are you enjoying doing a few more listener questions? Maybe, you know, doing a couple less trending this week segments. Um, Just maybe trying to do those every couple weeks. I'd just love to know what you're most interested in hearing and what you find most valuable. So that said, I hope that you did find a lot of value in today's show. 
And if you want more information about anything I discussed in this episode, you can learn more over on the website at loveandlightschool.com slash blog. Do you feel intuitively called to work more deeply with your stones? To grow your confidence, knowledge, and connection to crystal energy beyond what you can learn on your own? Our award-winning Crystal Healing Certification Program will take you from crystal lover to a confident, certified crystal healer and help you discover your soul's path and crystal purpose. Maybe you want to deepen your personal spiritual practice by connecting more deeply to your stones. Or maybe you're already working with crystals, but you want to learn some more advanced energy healing techniques. Wherever you're at on your crystal journey, the Love and Light School's CCH program can help you become the confident and intuitive crystal healer you know you can be. Are you ready to listen to the nudges from the universe and take the next steps on your crystal journey? Our CCH program is here to support you every step of the way. And of course, if you did enjoy the show today, the biggest compliment you can give me is to leave a quick rating and review over at loveandlightschool.com slash iTunes. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Love and Light Live podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Levy, and I'll be back with you in our next episode. Until then, crystal blessings. The Love and Light Live podcast is a production of the Love and Light School of Crystal Therapy. Connect with us online at loveandlightschool.com or on social at loveandlightschool. provided on or through our website or podcast makes no claims for specific or general health or health results and should not be used to examine, diagnose, or treat any medical condition, prescribe medications, make claims for specific or general healing or health results, or as a substitute for traditional medical treatment. For medical advice, you should consult a licensed healthcare specialist. For more information, please refer to the terms of use on our website at loveandlightschool.com.